0: All right, good morning, Redeemer. Um, I was about to say it's good to see you. I cannot see you, um, but glad that you are here with us virtually this morning. Um, We're going to be back in the Proverbs. We've spent the last two weeks looking at money, and this morning we're going to spend one more week um, looking at finances out of the book of Proverbs. So we have probably doubled our total money sermons in the last nine years, the last three weeks. um, Definitely not a topic we've hit on a ton. have enjoyed getting to do that in the Proverbs with you. Um, If you have thoughts, questions, would love to hear those um, as we will continue moving through some different topics um, practically through the Proverbs. So if you haven't been with us, um, just know there's two money sermons previous to this one, um, and we have been working through the Proverbs now for a series of weeks um, looking at these uh, bits of wisdom, um, being reminded and understanding that wisdom is not um, holding knowledge, but that it is being skilled at living. That it is living as God has created the world and walking in obedience to him, and that wisdom is found um, itself in Christ. Um, that we need him, need to pursue him, need to ask him for that wisdom. So there is a lot that scripture has to say about money, and, and really what we've looked at the last two weeks and what we'll look at this morning is that we want to hold all of those different things, those 2,000 plus verses, all the different um, aspects we've looked at in tension. Um, that if we run in any one direction, forgetting the rest of what Scripture has to say, we, we have the ability to run into some really dangerous waters um, of holding up some verses as a proof text of look at what the Bible has to say about money and forgetting the whole picture. And so we want to look at it across the board in totality. And that's why we need wisdom. It's why we need to seek Jesus and ask Him as we look at the whole picture. Um, Just a little bit of recap um, from the last couple weeks. One is is that God owns it all. Everything in creation is His, and because it's His and He has given it to us to steward, that we want to honor Him and worship Him through our spending, through our saving, through our generosity, Um, because it is very much a discipleship issue of honoring and making much of Jesus, even with our with our finances. Um, the second is is that it's a tool. Money is simply a tool, um, and it can be both used to honor God, and it can be used in a broken, sinful, and corrupted way. It can be wielded well or poorly. The third thing um, is that Scripture has a lot of warnings, um, and so our desires have been affected by the fall. They've been corrupted. Um, money is dangerous. It has a way of kind of leeching onto our heart and, and taking our attention and our focus off of Jesus and onto the things of this world of looking for fleeting, temporary satisfaction, security, power, control um, in, in finances and in the things that we're holding on to rather than Jesus. And so we have to be very, very careful with money because it will not satisfy long term. It will not give security long term. It will not give um, control. And yet we can find those things um, at peace. In security, satisfaction, in our treasure being in Jesus, and then the fourth thing is this: is that the thing we've looked at the last two weeks, and we'll look at even again some this morning, is that the way that we kind of fight this hold in this, um, uh, this kind of illusion that money can hold in front of us and, and distract us, is that we fight it with generosity. Um, that we want to find our treasure in Jesus, and so we want to be good stewards of what He's given, and be generous with. Our finances, but as well as with our time, our relationships, um, our, our talents, our knowledge, and in every aspect and area of life, we want to be generous. So this morning, we're going to kind of have a narrow focus and look specifically at the topic of poverty. All right, so poverty is one of those things that maybe you don't hear a ton of, of sermons about. Um, it's one that can quickly be politicized, as you have those who want to look at just kind of social justice warriors and others who would say, hey, look, it's, it's their fault, it's their problem. Um, we live in, in America. If you want the American dream, you just gotta work hard for it. And, and we can kind of run to those two extremes. And, and so, we're, look, we're not looking to have a political sermon this morning, we're not looking to land in those camps. Um, here's what we know you cannot ignore poverty. We live in a small town, um, we see poverty. We don't only live in a smaller community, but we live in an oil field community, which is currently being hammered. And so we see the effects of that. Um, that Pampa has, has, for its history, has been kind of a boom and bu- bust culture. Um, and then if we are just aware of the news at all, that um, over the last six weeks, some 30 million Americans have sought out unemployment aid um, because of the COVID-19 and, and oil crisis and the things that are going on. And so. Listen, poverty is just a conversation um, that we can't ignore, and there have been times where the economy is is booming that maybe we can, um, but we shouldn't, and right now it's just really hard to to ignore it at all, um, to to not be aware of it. And so I want us to be reminded of a few things this morning. One, as we see poverty, um, it reminds us of a few things. One, that this is not our home, right? Like that this is not the way things are intended to be. So it's not just that it's not our home, but things are broken and, and they're not supposed to be. And so it should create a longing in us for what God is doing and is going to do in, in the day where he will wipe every tear from every eye as he redeems and restores things. And so it should stir some of that of like, yeah, it's a reminder, even on its best day, this isn't what we're meant for. Um, a third thing is this, is just that need for, for hope. Um, of redemption, of restoration, um, to, to be able to give hope, because we know that hope has a name in, in Jesus to those who are around us who maybe are struggling financially. And then it gives us a renewed sense of, of focus and mission, that we have a task before us, that we have good news, and we know that that good news is found in a person, it's found in Jesus, and that he actually does um, bring healing and hope and and reconciliation and restoration and satisfaction and all of these things. It's found in the person and the life and the work of Jesus. And so as we see need, would it stir just a renewed sense of of honoring God through mission as we seek to to serve those around us? So let's start here. What is poverty? All right, with our American sensibilities— your first thought, I guarantee, is running towards, it's a lack of things, right? It's a lack of material, consumer things. And so the, the solution to poverty would quickly then be, we need to, to help meet that lack with more things or with more finances. And, and yet, if we're honest, right, we know that poverty isn't simply the lack of financial things. That poverty really is a lack of flourishing, Right, it's a lack of flourishing. Yes, financially and materially, but also spiritually, relationally, um, intellectually, or educationally, um, that it, it's not living in a flourishing in a flourishing way that would that would look like we are living as God has um, given us intent to has wanted us to do, and and we know that that is often because of the brokenness in the world. Um, we know this, that, that poverty isn't just a lack of material things, because we know those who are rich in finances, who are rich in material things, who still have brokenness in their life, right? That are still impoverished in some arena. And so if you want kind of a definition even for flourishing, right? Th- picture um, a husband or a wife in a relationship, um, and, and just because they are in that relationship and have that identity you could ask the question, are they flourishing in it, right? Are they, are they, or are they wilted, right? As you look at them, you go, oh, yeah, she's, she's technically a wife, but she's not flourishing. She just seems wilted versus the marriage is going well and look at her flourishing and she is healthy and happy and whole. Um, and so when we think about poverty and, and we say that we want instead, instead of poverty, we want to look at flourishing, that we want to see those who are vibrant and not wilting in regards to relationships, and to spiritually, money, um, and even education. All right, so as soon as we begin to talk about poverty, for those who haven't ever been in it, um, or who are maybe kind of far removed from it, or it doesn't seem like it's even a possibility in your life, sometimes there can be a tendency um, to go, hey, it's, it's their fault. They have done something wrong. It's a character flaw. It's a, it's a laziness issue. It, they have done something, and it is their fault. And if they didn't want it to be that way, then they would fix it. And so I want us to then to look at what does Scripture say? Like, How does poverty actually occur, and why does it occur? And the first is this. It's due to the fall, right? As we, as we have looked at the Proverbs, we have consistently gone back to that God set creation in motion, right? And it was perfect in perfect harmony with, with relationships with Him, with one another, and in creation. And then with sin and rebellion, when, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and His holiness, that things were fractured and broken. The ground was cursed. Pregnancy became difficult. Death entered. Sin entered. Um, national, or natural calamities and disasters entered the world. And things were irrevocably like broken in need of redemption. And that's why we have the whole story of Jesus coming to restore and to redeem. That creation is grown in longing for the day of perfection and knowing that God will once again do that. And so as we look back that we know that part of the reason that there is poverty is simply that the world is broken. That it is not as God originally intended. And so circumstances and sin have entered Um, the ground is cursed, so it doesn't always put forth what we need, Um, that things break, that we have things like pandemics that take those who are right on the razor's edge and, due to economic insecurity, throw them into poverty, that we see natural disasters that wipe out communities, tsunamis that wipe out villages, right, and these type of things just can bring poverty with them. It's just the way of our broken world, right? No one's fault, just brokenness. The second is this, is that laziness that we kind of mentioned briefly a minute ago actually does play a role in it. Like, poverty can be due to laziness. Listen to Proverbs 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Right? Like, just this idea of, look, the one who doesn't work, the one who isn't diligent, is going to bring about poverty most often in their life. If we turn over to Proverbs 21, Verse 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor, right? Like that his desires for anything other than work are going to bring about his demise because he's not going to have what he needs. And then one final, this is Proverbs 24, beginning of verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw it and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Right, like just this short vignette of this scene of one noticing the guy not working. Who's let his property go into disrepair. And in the, in, in what's the outcome? It's poverty. It's not having what was needed and due to what? Not due to natural disaster, wiping out a, a crop. Not due to, to brokenness, but simply due to laziness, of not putting forth energy and effort. And so we know that poverty can be caused by our own hand, not working hard. But the third reason, and one that Proverbs will speak about um, probably in more depth than any of of the others, is actually due to injustice, right? Like whether that is brought about by individuals or systems or nations, um, that there is injustice in the world, there is oppression in the world, and that it can bring about poverty. Listen to just a few. If we go back to Proverbs 13, verse 23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, But it is swept away through injustice, right? So it's saying, right now we have someone who is working and in his field is producing food. And yet through injustice, that food is taken. So this person is impoverished. They don't have enough. They don't have the finances that they would have gleaned from it because of injustice has taken it, right? That it wasn't due to, again, to a natural disaster or their own laziness, but someone stronger, someone unjust, someone wicked coming and taking what was theirs, um, Proverbs fourteen, thirty-one: Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Right? Just this reminder um, that, that if you oppress the poor, um, that you are insulting God. Like that, that is not going to be ignored. It is seen and it is known. If we turn over to chapter seventeen, uh, beginning in verse fifteen. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike, an abomination to the Lord, right? Just cutting to the chase of saying, listen, if you are going to be unjust, if you're going to hold others down, you are an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Verse 23, also in chapter 17, the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice, right? that There are those who will take money from others in order to make sure that justice does not occur. And listen, sometimes that simply means that people are wrongfully convicted. Other times it means that poverty comes because they are being subverted and kept from moving forward. If you look at um, verse 5 of chapter 18, just one chapter over, it is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. And then if we turn to chapter 22, verses 7 and 8, the rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is slave of the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. And the rod of his fury will fail. Right? Like the, the rich can rule over the poor. Um, and, and, if, and they can enslave them and oppress them. Verse 16 of chapter 22. Again, just frank conversation. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. right? Just this reminder of like, it's not the way things are meant to be. It's not the way things are supposed to be and that God is seen and is aware of it. One final verse. This is also in chapter 22, verse 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob life those who rob them. right? Just this idea that God is seeing the injustice happening, but sometimes poverty comes not due to circumstances in the world, not due to laziness, but due to injustice. Again, for whether it's individuals or, 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 or corporations or nations, that they come in and they choose a people and they hold them down for their own gain and to make sure they're impoverished, right? We can, we could spend the rest of the day talking about the way this has played its way at, it's, it's, it's the way it's played itself out in human history, even in our own nation, right? That we have seen injustice leading to poverty. And so we cannot be so quick to say it's their fault or it's a character flaw. Um, in Amos, that we looked at a book that we w- walked through last year, right? That God is showing his ferocity and his anger at the injustice of a people who were called by his name who are meant to reflect His glory, and yet who are holding down the poor because they are rich, who are putting false weights in baskets to make sure that they're getting more grain for less money, who are doing these things to cheat people, and yet are not looking like God, not being generous at all. And He is saying, look, judgment is coming, and it's coming because of the way you have treated these people in part. So now we've seen what is poverty, how does it happen? Let's, let's, let's move into this. What do we do, right? Like, what is our response um, as a people who are not impoverished, right? And even if, if maybe as you're watching this, you think, hey, I kind of, I am impoverished. Um, maybe, right? Maybe in America, um, but for the most part, not in the eyes of, of the world, right? And so let's, let's be honest with that, um, that the, the Joneses that we're, we're trying to keep up with are, are not the scale that God has called us to, okay? So what do we do? The first thing is this. We need to know something. <laughs> what do we need to know? We need to know that the worst thing isn't being materially poor, right? That there are worse things than being poor. And for some of us, we would think, man, poverty, not having control, not being able to take vacations, not knowing if I can take care of my kids, not... That would be the worst thing I could imagine. And yet listen to the Proverbs. If we turn back to Proverbs 15, verses 16 and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is the dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Right? Just this idea that if we if maybe we don't have enough. That if we have God, if, we, if we're trusting Him, if we're walking in His wisdom, it's better to not have enough than to have a feast before us with, with hatred and trouble and spite with it. right? That, that poverty is not the worst thing. If you turn over to chapter 16, verse 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. right? Again, just plain speech. It is better to have less and be righteous right before God than to have great revenue streams that have been brought in by injustice. And then if we look at verse 1 in chapter 17, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Just kind of a similar picture to chapter 15, that it's better to have a little, um, to to want a little, um, and yet to be avoiding trouble and strife, um, even if feasting comes with it. And then one final verse. This is uh, verse 22 of chapter 19. What is desired in a man is steadfast love. Church, listen to this. And a poor man is better than a liar. Right? Just saying, listen, there are things worse than poverty. And being spiritually poor, being morally poor, is far worse than being materially poor. Right? The Proverbs are just going to continue to reiterate that. Um, so as we think about um, the American poor, as we think about the globally poor, one of the, the advantages of not having a lot of material things, and I, and I know there's not a ton of advantages, but one is that we're not distracted, right? Because we're not distracted by straining to hold on and keep something that was never meant to be kept by our own strength and power because we are being stewards of God's things. And the second is this, is that their hope is never going to be in this life. It's never going to be about just maintaining this life and this status quo or gaining more. Their hope is always going to be looking to the future when God is redeeming and restoring, right? Because we are co-heirs with him. And so their hope is not in this life, which was never meant to be our home in the first place. And one of the, the devious ways that wealth can come in, and listen, it is a tool and it can be used for good, Right, but that it can distract our hearts and it can take us off of mission and off of worship of God of making us focus on keeping what is ours and being distracted by those things. And so let's just know that the worst thing isn't being materially poor. The second thing is this, is what do we do? We want to reflect God's image, right? We don't want to be like the people of God in Amos who have dishonored him we want to rightly reflect God's image. So how do, we, how do we do that? And one, the first way is that we want to be relational, right? And I think often when we think about poverty, we assume what that looks like is it's making a donation, writing a check to some organization, right? It's showing up and, and, and handing someone something and making sure we take a selfie with it. Um, and what we're doing is we are promoting ourselves. Um, we are wanting to be the hero We're wanting to be seen as as a knight in shining armor swooping in to rescue. And yet, as we think about how did God pursue us, he pursued us through relationship, right? That Jesus comes in the flesh to be Emmanuel, God with us, to walk among the poor, the broken, the needy, right? That God doesn't say, hey, figure out how to get to me, that God comes to rescue us. And that he does it through knowing us and allowing us to know him through relationships that he absolutely pursues us. And so what we do is, right, we we know that God identifies and he he knows us and so that we can trust him and we can ask of him and, and that he listens. And so one of the things that we do is we reflect God's relational characteristics. And so we don't look to just give and push it aside to forget, but we look to enter into relationship to identify with, to know, to ask questions, to shut up and just listen, to hear how they would define poverty and struggle and issue, right? To see what it is that they might actually want help with and not assume that we know best. That we would do it um, with dignity, not looking to heap shame, but seeing them as fellow image bearers of God. That we are not Arrogant and prideful and better, but that we would give dignity and relationship and friendship as God has pursued us. The second is that, right? It's not just that we would be relational, but that we would pursue people, right? Being reminded that God does not pursue us because we are clean and we have pulled ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps, but because while we were yet sinners, He demonstrated His love for us. He rescued us at the cross. Romans 5. And if we look at Romans chapter 12, we hear Paul talking to the church in Rome. And in verse 16, he says this, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, another word for proud. But as, he says, so don't be proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. One of the specific commands to the church was to, to pursue those who you might think of as less than you and not so that we would put them in categories but that we would be remembered that we were so spiritually impoverished that we needed Jesus to relate to us to pursue us to know us to rescue us and that we would do it uh, we would pursue people out of a desire to see them flourish right not for our own glory not to a heap of shame but for their good and for the glory of God the third is this so we would be generous out of just an overflow of joy. And so that if we have the ability to make money, we would not see that as shameful. We would not see the ability to save and to have much as something that Bible condemns. But we would see that God has put us in a position to have much so that we can give much. That we would be a generous, overflowing people for the good of those around us. That they would flourish, Right? that we would actually know the needs and be able to meet the needs that are there, not just the ones that we assume, right? That it wouldn't be for our pride, but it would be for their good. The fourth thing is this, that we would be a relational people, that we would pursue people, that we would be generous, but that we would also be seeking to redeem, right? And, and one of the dangers of talking about poverty, is, is, is that we begin to move into social justice and that we can begin to offer sometimes help right without, without love, or we can offer love without, without help. right? So listen to what James says in chapter 2. James 2. Beginning in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled... Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Right? James is just speaking frankly. He says, Listen, if someone has a need and you tell them, Hey, man, we love you, I go, I go with the peace of God, and you don't help them, it's not helpful. Right? And yet, we also know that the flip side of this is that if we only take care of financial needs, of food needs, of clothing needs, of education needs, and we fail to tell of a spiritual need that we have, if we fail to share of the glory of Jesus and the fact that, that God has come to rescue us, who has lived the life we never could live, and we as rebels needed rescue, and Jesus has lived the perfect life, and then in our place was crushed and, and, and took, absorbed the wrath of God in our place because we couldn't have stood and then beat our enemies, sin and Satan and death, and stands today alive, right? That he is calling us to be sons and daughters of the king, to be adopted into the family, to be co-heirs of all things with Christ. If we fail to share that message of hope and of rescue, then we've missed the point because we've only given a temporary fix to an eternal problem. And they will one day stand, right, apart, having nothing, right? Right? We don't stand on our own before God because we will be wiped out. We need Jesus, His righteousness in our place. And so we want to meet legitimate needs, but we also don't want to do that without offering the hope and the beauty that the treasure that Jesus is in this life and in the next. The glory of the good news of the gospel. Listen to how Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, right, he owns it all, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Church, for those of us who are in Christ, who know him, who trust him, who follow him, we are rich despite what you have, small or much materially. You are rich in Christ because you are a co-heir with the God of the universe. Right? The one who owns it all has brought you into the family, who's taken you from an enemy and a rebel, and has brought you in and says, not only do I love you, I like you, and you're in this family, and you're mine, and it's yours as well. Right? And so we want to offer this sort of redemption. We want to be able to enter in and say, look, we're broken as well. We were in need of rescue. Right? It's why we can pursue. It's why we can relate. It's why we can identify. That's why we can be generous, because our Father was first generous. And that's why we have um, something to be generous from. And that we would offer salvation knowing that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And lastly, it's this. I want to read from Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. Because... The, the question was, is what do we do? And, and, and we want to know, right? We want to know that the worst thing isn't in, um, material poverty. We want to reflect God's image. And finally, we want to we seek wisdom and see what it, where has God placed us specifically individually, right, as a church, as a family, and as, a, as an individual to impact the poverty that is around us, right? Because he's done that. He is in control. He is sovereign. Listen to what Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says. Open your mouths for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy, right? And so here's the answer to this. What do, how do we seek wisdom and action on what God has equipped and called us to do? The first thing is this, is we don't ignore it. We don't not do anything, Because he has told us to open our mouths and be a defender for justice and righteousness, right, of those who are destitute, who are needy, who are poor, that we are meant to act, okay? And so, this could look like um, you engaging a single working parent, knowing that they are absolutely exhausted, that they need help, right? Maybe just with babysitting. Maybe just with um, a, a night out. Maybe it's groceries, maybe it's financial, but maybe it's just a relationship of someone to vent to and to be encouraged by and to know that they are seen and not alone. Right? That God sees us and that we're not alone. Right? We are reflecting His character and His relationship and His pursuit of us as we pursue others. Right? And that we do this by seeing those around us. We don't assume what their need is. Um, so, a while back, I decided I was going to ask Carmen, what is the one chore around the house that you just currently hate doing? How could I help out? Um, because in the past, I've assumed I knew what that was and, and I, would, I would do it and I would be expecting her to appreciate it and it was something she didn't mind doing or it wasn't really that helpful. Um, and so one example of that was I would start laundry and, and run it through the washer and get it into the dryer and then I would leave it. <laughs> And so she would come home or realize I had done it and then have to fold laundry. And I'm thinking, hey, I've, I've helped out. I've done the laundry up to the point of folding and putting it away. And, and her, her comment was, but I might not have wanted to have done that today. Right? When I assumed I was helping and I was really causing more effort um, and, and not really seeing, hearing, or understanding her. Um, and so let's not assume as we pursue people around us that we know what it is that their biggest need is. Like, would we enter those relationships? Would we, would we listen and ask questions um, and be friends and not see them as a project, right, but as a legitimate relationship, a friend? Um, maybe you are a, a teacher, um, an educator, and so that you can offer education support and encouragement to those who are striving to just finish school or to get a GED or to, to go back to school, Right? Um, knowing that flourishing is going to happen with with better jobs and moving forward, maybe what God has raised you up and has specifically wired you to do is to be an entrepreneur who's going to create jobs, right? That one of the ways that we best tackle poverty is through job creation, right? And so knowing that that wealth and entrepreneurial um, talents and skills are given by God to provide for others who don't have those skills to have stable, secure jobs that pay well and allow them to care for their family, allow their family to flourish. Um, that the point isn't always as the boss is to make more money, but it's also to, to care for those who are under you, who are dependent upon your job creation, your company, and the culture that it's provided. So maybe God has is, is uniquely equipped you to be that, and to allow people to move out of poverty and into a more stable situation financially. Um, would we be reminded that it's not about our own ease, our own comfort, but it it really is about the flourishing of others? Listen to Deuteronomy 18, verse 17. Sorry, uh, Deuteronomy 8, verse 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart, "My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth." You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant with you. He swore to your fathers as it is to this day, right? So he's saying, listen, don't forget that it's me who gives you the time, the energy, the talents, the knowledge, the skill, Um, right? We have to do our part in that, but that God has given us the ability to create wealth and to have those things And it's not just for our ease and our comfort and to tell others they should try harder and do better, but it is to bring about human flourishing for the glory of God, right, and the good of creation around us. Maybe the the wisdom that we need to seek and the action that we need to take today is confession. It's confession that we haven't sought out um, looking to, to open our mouths for the poor, or maybe we've actually been an oppressor Look at just a a couple more Proverbs as as we get close to the end here. Proverbs 15, 11. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. Verse 2 of chapter 16. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. And then verse 3 of chapter 17 the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. So maybe you have, have gotten away with it, maybe you um, have thought it was okay, and yet even in this moment the Spirit is beginning to just bring conviction. that The Lord knows, right? Even if no one else does, He knows where we have potentially been the oppressor, or the one who um, has brought injustice. Would we confess that knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right, and that we move forward walking in obedience and, and, and faith in Jesus, but that we can confess sin and repent right, by, by turning and changing our actions from this point forward? Church, would we be a people who celebrate justice? Listen to verse 15 of chapter 21. When justice is done, it is joy to the righteous and terror to evildoers. That we would celebrate when we see um, justice, when we see oppression fail, when we see job creation and these things that allow people to flourish um, and to take heart and trust Jesus. Church, ultimately, here's where I want us to end. We have hope in Jesus. We know that a better day is coming that there will be a day where he'll wipe every tear from every eye. There will be a day where sin and death and sadness will be washed away forever. And that we will be where we belong in the city of God with him. And he will be ours and we will be his. Right? That those, those days are coming and we have hope of that. And yet even now that we can be a place that is reflecting that expectation and that hope. We can be a light in the midst of darkness. We can be a hope Because of Jesus and that He is alive. He's defeated our enemies. We have hope. We are spiritually rich. We are co heirs. Church, He hears us and He understands He was one who walked amongst the poor and the broken. He did not have a place to lay His head. He gets spiritual or um, material um, poverty in this world, and yet He offers spiritual riches. So would we trust that, that he gets the final say, and that poverty doesn't define us, doesn't define those who we see if we're not impoverished, but Jesus does. So would we trust that? Would we seek him to um, enrich our, our spiritually impoverished souls? And would we trust him for the material needs that we have, knowing that he sees them and is aware of them? Um, and that he is working to bring about redemption and restoration. So church, would we engage in that? Would we open our mouths and defend? Um, Because Jesus has rescued us and has freed us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your your faithfulness. God, would we be a people whose eyes are opened to the, the needs of the world around us, both in our community, in our country, and in the globe? That we would not be so busy storing up treasures in this life, in this world. That we would be the fool um, who had much and yet wasn't generous and didn't honor and please you. It's is, is the rich fool in Luke 12. God, but that we would be faithful. We would be generous and we would trust that you are sufficient and that you are enough. God, would you continue to just stir questions, um, obedience, um, understanding, and trust as to what your word says about money and finances. Lord, would you trim away um, wrong thoughts that maybe have crept up over the years, and would you help us to look at the totality of what scripture has to say? Um, God, we want to please you. We want to worship you in the way that we individually, as families and as this church, um, steward the resources that you have given that you have given, would you be glorified, Jesus? In your name we pray, amen.